Welcome to FedSpeak, brought to you by M&I Market News. I'm Pedro da Costa, and I'm pleased to introduce today's featured guest, Anna Hernandez-Kent. She is a senior researcher for the Institute for Economic Equity at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Thank you so much for joining me today, Anna. Nice to see you, Pedro. Thank you for having me. So digging through your work in preparation for today's conversation reminded me of just how misleading it is for us to talk about the economy as a monolith because really there are probably as many economies you could say as there are people. And so it's really important to keep in mind how different groups are being affected by various trends. And your work focuses on a range of interesting issues like the racial wealth gap and the role of women in the economy. And that's actually where I wanted to start today's podcast. You did a lot of work on single mothers and how they were affected by the pandemic. How are they faring in the recovery now that uh, we're two years into it? That is a wonderful question. So, you know, we've all experienced the COVID-19 recession and then pandemic, uh, as well as the recovery, which is um, for many families still ongoing, uh, economically speaking. So one of the the headline uh, phrases that was used frequently was the she session because COVID uh, was really unusual for many, obviously many different reasons. One of which was that the recession disproportionately affected women, whereas uh, other recessions tend to affect men more just because of the industries that typically are harder hit. Well, I have gone um, beyond that she session term and really argued that it was more than that, a mom session, uh, disproportionately affecting mothers, um, both because, you know, uh, daycares, schools closed down, had reduced hours. Um, even to this day, I know I have young kids, friends of mine do as well. Um, if there is a, an exposure, you know, they might have to quarantine their child for 10 days because the vaccine was only recently uh, extended to those those younger children. So. We're still dealing with this even two years in. So that was one reason. The other reason was that the industries that women and mothers in particular tend to be overrepresented in were those that were hit harder, um, including uh, the early child care education industry, which is almost 100 percent women. Uh, Many of the workers are women of color as well. They experienced a 47 percent reduction at the very beginning uh, in, in employment, which is just mind-boggling, right? It's, it's difficult to wrap your mind around nearly half the people in an industry being unemployed. Um, so that's all to say that, you know, women and single moms, particularly because they are relying on themselves to provide uh, the income and financial st- stability for their family, um, were disproportionately uh, affected by the pandemic. And how are they recovering now? There's some talk that the she session may be there's been a recovery from the she session and that some of that ground has been made up but as you say there's still some lingering issues i think so so there certainly has been you know recovery um for many different folks Um, but as you said in the beginning of this podcast uh there are different economies for different people and so if we take overall numbers yes things certainly look pretty good uh, but then if we start to dig a little bit deeper in the data, you know, some some groups haven't fully recovered uh, or, you know, they're experiencing different pressures or even the pressures that they were experiencing prior to COVID. Um, so as I'm sure we'll get to later on in this podcast, single moms, um, you know, are a low income, low wealth group. Uh, we're dealing with inflation now. So they have these pressures to contend with. Childcare is very expensive and the whole industry, uh, you know, was was struggling even prior to COVID. 
and it's even more so now. Um, so it's not necessarily talking about a recovery, but also talking about the inequities that existed prior to the pandemic and what we should be doing, not just to recover to where we were, which was a fairly inequitable state for many families, but how can we help those families move even beyond a recovery state? Absolutely. And how does race and ethnicity play into it? And how, what does your data show about the breakdown along those lines? Definitely. So um, race and ethnicity uh, just elevates a lot of the disparities that we're talking about. So most people uh, are familiar with the fact that there's a gender wage gap, right? Um, as of the most recent stats, it's about 82 cents that uh, full-time uh, women make for uh, every dollar that a full-time man makes. There is a parent uh, wage gap as well, which is bigger, 75 cents roughly to the dollar, moms to dads working full-time. Um, but on top of that, there is a, a wealth gap as well. Um, and that is even, even starker. So for example, if we look at single moms, which we were talking about before, they make about, or they, excuse me, they have about $7,000 at the median wealth. That's not a lot of money. If you compare that to single mom, single women without children or single dads, those families have about 11 times more wealth. Um, and then if you, you're talking about race and ethnicity, if you break that $7,000 down and talk about, all right, what about uh, white single moms or black and Latina single moms? Well, black and Latina single moms, they have about $4,000, whereas white single moms have about 11 times more. So it's a big difference. I mean, when we're talking about these these disparities, it's always important to think about race and ethnicity as well, because it just exacerbates a lot of the gaps that we've been discussing. And the same thing is true for unemployment or um, for black moms, uh, excuse me, uh, high, high, have higher unemployment rates um, or, you know, labor force participation rates, which really dip. So it wasn't just that people were unemployed, it's that they gave up looking for a job entirely and pulled themselves out of the labor force. And that was more so true for uh, moms, moms of the young kids. Uh, and then, you know, race and ethnicity also plays a role uh, in that as well. Your work mentions slim financial cushions. Could you describe how you, how you conceive of that and uh, how the double whammy of first a pandemic shock and then a subsequent inflation shock has affected those with slim financial cushions? Sure. So I think what I meant by some financial cushions is that that wealth buffer. Um, so wealth, as we're measuring it, is basically all of your assets, things like your home, uh, your car, if you have one, um, your savings, whether that be for retirement or just money you have stashed away uh, in a checking account or even under your mattress, um, all of your assets, we add those up and then subtract all of your liabilities or debts, things like if you have a vehicle loan or student loan debt, uh, a mortgage, et cetera. Um, so what that comes up with is your wealth, but it's really more so uh, more than just that calculation, right? It's a measure of how well you're doing. It's a measure of whether or not you're going to be able to uh, put a down payment on a house or help your kids pay for college. Are you gonna be upwardly mobile? Are you gonna be able to help your kids do that? And so that's what we mean by a, a safety buffer or a cushion. And for single moms and women in general, they tend to have less wealth than do men, male-headed households. Um, and so this is, this is problematic, uh, especially because women tend to, if they are, uh, if they, if they're single, they have, tend to have custody of their kids. And so it's not just them we're talking about, it's also their children. And so it's it's not just an issue of uh, women economic justice, it's we're talking about families in the broader economy um, as well. And so in terms of inflation, 
uh, let's, I mean, Leo, Leo Brainerd, uh, the vice chair of the board of governors has a really great, um, uh, talk that she gave for actually one of Minneapolis's opportunity and inclusive growth institutes events that they had in April. She talked about the distributional effects of inflation, how it affects different families, uh, differently. And so of course, inflation affects us all. Like we're all feeling it right now. I'm sure when you go to the gas pump, right. You're like, really, do I have to pay that? Um, but it affects low, uh, wealth and low income families more so because they're already, you know, they're already scraping the bottom of the barrel. So if you're a single mom, you've probably for years already made a budget. You've already cut costs that are quote unquote extra. Um, you, you already buy the, the store brand uh, products. You're not buying the name brand. You might already buy the canned vegetables as opposed to those more expensive fresh vegetables. So you've already cut costs. And so inflation is elevating the cost of those things that are deemed essential and necessary, right? And those moms, they don't have any wiggle room in their budget compared to what other families might be able to do. And how does the cost and availability of childcare affect this equation and are there any policy solutions that are sort of low hanging fruit that could help? So cost and availability are two major uh, uh, issues that the child early childhood education industry contends with. Um, so in terms of availability, even prior to COVID, about half of the country was in what's called a childcare desert. Essentially, there are not enough slots for the number of kids in an area. Um, this is especially true of areas that are rural, areas that are uh, primarily Latino. Um, so it is, it's an issue there. And then, of course, costs are uh, extraordinarily difficult for families to pay. Um, so what would be considered affordable is roughly 7% of annual household income. Um, child care costs on average per child are about $9,000 per year. I can tell you that mine is a lot more expensive, so it certainly depends on where you live. Uh, but $9,000 a year for that to be quote unquote affordable, it would mean the family would need to make roughly $130,000 a year or more. Guess what share of single moms make $130,000 a year or more? Less than 3%. So we're talking about, you know, this this being just incredibly unaffordable for many, many people, especially those families, those single moms, those black and Latina moms who have very little wealth and low income jobs, low benefits. They're not able to take the time off if their child does get sick and they can't even send them to the daycare they're paying for. So uh, all this to say that it is absolutely an issue in terms of uh, low hanging fruit, uh, what could be done. You know, the, the uptake of subsidies is not as good as it can and should be. And, you know, we the government has these subsidy uh, programs, but it doesn't match up with the actual care, uh, the, the cost of care. So even if, uh, you know, you, you have a voucher um, for childcare, those childcare centers may be kind of wary of accepting you and your child because it's not, uh, it's not for the entire cost of that care. And so they're, they're suffering, um, What's the word I'm thinking about? They're they're taking a, a financial hit if they accept you because the the waiver is not covering 100% of the cost of what it takes to to educate and care for your child. Um, so extending that, making it clear that this is not just a an issue for the parent and the family, but it's also an issue of, of public good, right? And if we talk about labor force participation rate, other countries 
tend to have higher labor force participation rates for women uh, in large part because their support for working mothers is stronger. Um, and so just thinking through those issues, I think it's it's a win-win uh, for the economy, the broader economy as well. So just understanding that and, and capitalizing on that momentum that we've been seeing. Now you mentioned labor force participation. That was a question I had is how much, what do we know about the recovery in labor force participation for different cohorts? Uh, given how much of a drop-off you did see initially, as you mentioned. Right. So I think that um, I haven't checked the most recent data, um, but from that that others in, in the Federal Reserve across the system are doing, I've seen that there has been some recovery. Um, some families are, are still weaker um, looking at the overall numbers. Um, but of course, I think that if we're talking about, again, if we're, if we we're talking about a recovery and the fact that there has been recovery, sometimes people can sort of take that as a checkbox and like, oh, we're done, you know, we're back to where we were pre-pandemic times. It's not an issue anymore. And I think the broader problem is that it is still an issue because we see these large gaps. So uh, moms with uh, young children ages zero to five, their labor force participation rate historically has been much lower than that of moms of older kids and women without kids. Um, where the interesting thing is for dads, it's actually the opposite. When they when men have children, their labor force participation rate is actually higher than men without children. Um, and it's kind of the same thing that you see with uh, um, the fatherhood, the motherhood, excuse me, well, the motherhood wage penalty. Uh, women, when they become moms for various different reasons, their wage tends to be lower than that of women uh, who don't have kids, whereas for dads, it's the opposite. They're like, oh, great, let me let me boost your wage. You have to take care of the family. And that doesn't reflect, uh, you know, 21st century values anymore. That's pretty startling, uh, even given what we know. Yeah. Maybe one last question that's half professional and half personal, which is uh, I was looking through your background and you have a, a PhD in experimental psychology. So I know that behavioral economics is, is all the rage. So how did you end up at the Fed with with having studied psychology? Yeah, you know, Pedro, that's a that's a great question. Sometimes I wonder the same thing myself. Um, so the the short story is that my dissertation and my research in graduate school was about class prejudice, um, socioeconomic class, uh, and that is um, kind of an uncommon thing for a psychologist to look at. And so when I was on the job market, I really wanted a, a position that would be, um, you know, fulfilling where I felt like I was making a, a broader difference, not just to the company and, uh, you know, making their bottom line look better, uh, but to the actual communities that were around me. And so when I came across the position in community development at the St. Louis Fed, it seemed like a, a match made in heaven. And here I am nearly five years later and all is well, <laughs> luckily. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today. That was Anna Hernandez-Kent, Senior Researcher at the St. Louis Federal Reserve.